Well, good evening, and welcome back to our Bible study in the book of Acts, led by your very own pastors. Uh, we've missed you. Uh, we keep showing up here on Wednesday nights and haven't seen you, so I'm not sure, but we remembered to bring our camera this time, so uh, here we are. No, we both had a little bit of a vacation this summer, back-to-back, uh, -back, so yep. uh, we were always staffed here at the church, but um, we're back. Yeah, until the end of the year. Yep, or however long it takes, and we're going to jump into Acts chapter nine this evening. So we're in Acts chapter nine. This is a real pivotal moment. This is, if you look at the outline of the of the book of Acts, it's uh, this is a big breaking part here, uh, kind of a part two, if you will. Uh, and so, the conversion of Saul, uh, verse one. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. That's the way I imagine it. Big, <laughs> I was going to make deep, a comment on that. Deep voice. <laughs> Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So just, I guess, quick uh, update, at least content-wise. Uh, so remember the end of chapter 8, uh, we were uh, seeing Philip and the Ethiopian. And so here's like kind of the beginning of uh, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Uh, so right as we see this great this, uh, evangelist in Jerusalem uh, being able to encounter a, an Ethiopian and then he's you know taken away another whatever it was, 40 miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, to continue through the towns spreading the gospel. We jump into Saul, who was mentioned earlier. Yep. We learned that he was holding the, uh, the coats for the men who were stoning Stephen, the first martyr. And so Saul comes back into the story and uh, breathing threats and murder. Uh, I think it's pretty bold when he said he, get the, he, he got this letter so he, he could arrest men and women. And mm. bring him back to Jerusalem. Yeah, there's, there's so much hate in all those words, right? That what a great description is breathing of murderous threats. Uh, yeah, actually going out of your way to be able to. It's like this is his life's mission, right? He hates the Lord and the Lord's people so much that he literally wants to destroy them. You know, to wipe them off the face of the earth. Completely. And 
so he's on this journey, and all of a sudden he's paused. And by the way, I do love your Jesus voice. I'll remember that. That's really that's good. angry Jesus. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's not that's not children's bedtime story Jesus. <laughs> but even this angry Jesus that shows up, he does so in a righteous way, right? That I mean, he could have been wiped Saul out. You know, if anybody, right? Our Lord is the one that has the paperwork and the efforts to be able to say, "I'm going to get rid of you," and that would have been simple, right? to completely wipe him off the face of this planet, make an example of him, maybe even do it publicly before these other witnesses that are there. So people are like, hey, don't mess with this God. Let me tell you what he can do. But instead, our loving Lord flips it around and says, you know what? I have a, a use for this individual. You know, I'm going to be able to, to change him. And so it uh, does so as we move forward here. Yeah. And so I can't imagine what were those three days like being blind, yeah, and I'm guessing that not eating or drinking is probably uh, for me either just out of fear and uh, depression. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been like so anxious before over something, or so worried about someone or your situation that you literally have no appetite. It can go on for a while, and maybe it's a piece of it that's here. I mean, you just heard basic, you know. Is God knock you off your horse, strike you blind, yeah. and then go to the city and wait? And so you're just waiting for three days. Like, what is God going to do to me now? Yeah, what's yeah. going to happen? Because Jesus didn't tell him, Go into the city and I'll heal you. He just said, Get up and go into the city. Yeah, and he's just waiting for what's next. Uh, I guess if you had that experience, like you would follow, well, hopefully most people would, would follow through. Although we do see people question God over and over again, actually, that happens again. Here in a in a minute, even. Why don't we jump back in then to are we at verse ten yeah. here? It says, uh, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. That was my Jesus voice, a little bit nicer there. <laughs> yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell off his Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Yeah. So I like uh, that. Again, so the the Lord shows up. Jesus Himself shows up to Saul, and and you know makes this big show of light. These other men see it. He tells him to go to his house, and he does. Jesus could have just gone straight to the house Himself. Or just came to Saul on a vision and said, hey, you know what, you're, you're good, let me show you what to do. But instead, he chooses Ananias 
to be able to go and be with this man. And it's such an example of the Lord just over and over again, both today and always, using people to complete his work. He has no reason to use Ananias. It's slower. Uh, he has somebody that questions kind of, kind of resisting. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do this, God? He only does it because he has literally chosen us throughout all of time. That this is how I'm going to spread my, my word. I am going to use people. And I always thought that was such just, just a, a neat piece. Uh, because you said, Ananias isn't so sure, right? I mean, he, Ananias is talking directly to God. And what does he do? Not like, yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Thank do you. this. Yeah. Um, Thank you Lord. for choosing me, yeah, Lord. Yeah. I know that no. people say that you're all knowing, but on this one thing right here, not sure if you know this guy. He's come here with authority to like take you, like, right. like, like God doesn't know or something. Yeah. Saul's been persecuting your people in Jerusalem. Now he's got the power to do it in Damascus. He's planning yeah. on starting it here. Yeah. If you haven't heard, <laughs> let me tell you, Lord. Update. But isn't that like us at the same time too, right? Like. God, you know about this. God, you should probably make this happen. No, Lord, I'm really praying for this today. I know it would be the best if you took care of it. And uh, again, to show you, we've always been the same throughout all these things, too. Right. Here's the you know example where Paul would say later, uh, Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And mm -hmm. Paul, Saul, here, uh, recognized that uh, amazing grace. That yeah. Jesus had for him. And like you said, Paul knew Jesus had every right to wipe him out. Yeah. He had Paul had set himself up as the chief enemy on earth of of the way, which was you know, Christianity is mm -hmm. called the way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But um, yeah, that's an example of why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. An interesting description there that I always thought was just unique when it talks about these scales that are falling from yeah, his okay. eyes. I wonder what that looks like. Did they not see them before they fell off? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just something that's different. Kind of a unique description that's there. Not that it has some, some big meaning, but just almost this. But it, it shows something physical, right? We always see these physical things. Same thing, you know, when Jesus heals a blind man. He has he spits in the dirt and makes mud and then puts it on again. Could have just touched him, but our Lord seems to love the physical, right? And, he, and we recognize that as you know, like in baptism, Saul gets baptized. You know, the Lord uses water. He didn't have to use the water. Could have just been, hey, this is how you're going to baptize people. You know, sign of the cross on their forehead, sign of the cross on their heart. This is what you're going to use. Same thing with communion. Communion can be distributed in so many different ways. That he uses bread and wine that's available. Our Lord just really likes to use elements that are the physical that we can be a part of, I, I think, and touch and yeah. recognize to actually, I don't know, be closer with us. And it almost seems like that for this moment, too, of these scales that are there. It's not just like, oh, I, I can see it. Like, look, something has happened because of the Lord working on me. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a great point for our, our own personal experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's not a it's not like a tingly, wingly feeling, you know, in my soul. Oh, did Jesus save me? Or did I feel his love? Or, you know, am I having a good yeah. day? Or am I having a bad day? Jesus isn't with me. It's, no, it's something physical that, that God has done. I've felt the water on my forehead. I've mm -hmm. tasted and smelled the bread and the wine. I know it's the means that something real that, that God has done it, and it's done. Mm -hmm. it's, it's certain. So, yeah, for our comfort. And even using Ananias, right? Just a physical person to come and yep. speak the words yep. 
uh, just like God calls pastors and teachers and uh, preschool directors ever to, to speak his word and it's a very physical thing yeah you think of sound as a visible way these sound waves are very physical waves that bounce through the molecules and strike our eardrums and, and make this hmm. audio you know perception that we have uh, yeah God works in his creation a very physical creation all right so uh, moving on Saul proclaims Jesus in the synagogue so right away Paul gets uh, excited yeah. about this wonderful Jesus. Um, and oh, oh, yeah, so part of the fear, right? This huge, this huge pendulum swing from uh, extreme hatred, uh, I don't know, extreme hatred for Jesus, uh, all the way to this extreme fear of, wait a second, this Jesus who I've been persecuting him and his followers is speaking to me, knocking yeah. up, you know, making me blind, uh, and then to come back to, you know, the center, I guess, but uh, to be healed, to be forgiven and baptized, and he is a new person. Mm -hmm. He is mm -hmm. the new creation in Christ that we all uh, are. So, anyway, right away, the second part of verse 19, really, but uh, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, and all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc, what a word, mm -hmm. havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, Jesus? And has not uh, he come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, a lot of interesting things there uh, when it says uh, he, uh, for some days he was with the disciples uh, and then he goes and starts proclaiming in the synagogue. A lot of people think that this is uh, in Galatians 1, where uh, uh, Paul talks about the time he, he was he talks about he was converted, and then he spent some three years in Arabia, uh, and then he came back and started proclaiming uh, the gospel. Hmm. I was doing this this some days here, so you know maybe there was some some preparation, some learning. You know, he went back. To the scriptures that he knew as a Pharisee, and was able to make the connections to how Jesus had fulfilled the prophecies, had fulfilled the old ceremonial laws, and made all things new. Um, so anyway, that's uh, maybe he did go to seminary before he started preaching. Who knows? <laughs> then John Ford right he did tell that story that after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. So after a while, they can't even take this guy, right? One who was going to kill people, but now they were after him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. Obviously, it's usually one main way in, maybe two main ways in and, and out, uh, looking for him. But his followers took him at night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. I Parallels, yeah. It's so it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so cool that this is the what they they figured out. When he came to Jerusalem, uh, he tried to join the disciples, but 
but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Let's hold on for a second. Because yeah. Let's just imagine this, right? You've got your arch enemy who's been trying to shut down your church. Oh, yeah. For, you know, months, years. Uh, well, arrest and, you know, maybe even stone uh, believers. He's gone off to Damascus. You don't know what he's been doing. He, he left to go and persecute the Christians there. Yeah. He comes back. And he wants to join your church. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm not a spy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not going to kill you guys. It's all good. Those papers, I burned those things. They're all gone, yeah. You can imagine the shock or the confusion and maybe disbelief, right? Oh, for sure. So interesting enough, there's always somebody that stands up. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had uh, preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church uh, throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. So another point of growth then, you know, we kind of get to. Right. So yeah, you go through this. Um, they So Barnabas is the one that sticks up with him. Remember we heard about Barnabas, Barnabas first in chapter 4. Yeah. When he sold his land and gave all of his money, not a part of it, all of his money, uh, to the church. And he, he plays a big role here, kind of vouching for Saul. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, and then so he's got more more things to do in the story. But as we move along, uh, so Paul is in uh, in with the church, and he's going around, and he is debating. He's arguing really with uh, Hellenistic, the Grecian Jews, um, and that's an interesting thing because to me. Uh, when I grew up, uh, I was a boy, a young man, younger, in the in the church. Uh, I can remember a lot of uh, I don't want to say emphasis, but whatever, personal evangelism, but but more like apologetics and art, you know, just arguing. I, I wouldn't use that word, but you know, just healthy debate, being able to defend, but but being willing to offend mm. if it came to that. Mm. Uh, and we don't want to just uh, be troublemakers and just go out and argue with people not for the, for the purpose sake of, of making yep. right. But I, you know, I think Paul obviously is not afraid to be hated, to stir up controversy or, or offense in people, uh, because he had a truth that was so real to him that completely changed. It turned his world upside down, mm -hmm. uh, and it was so important. You know, he argued, Jesus is the Son of God. And well, that's the key of, for everything. If Jesus wasn't the Son of God, and it's not that big a deal, and, and Paul would say that later, forget it. We'll just pack up and go home. Yeah, yeah. He has a reason to But if he has, well, that, that changes everything. And it's worth fighting for if that's, that's what it comes to. And that's what obviously happens in here, right? I mean, that effort that he puts forward... 
it says, you know, then, you know, after these things, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, you know, that they, they go through these bumps in the road, but then they're strengthened and they're encouraged by the Spirit being alive in them, and that's where their numbers grow. And it really is up to us to be able to, to challenge people. We see Christ do that over and over again, right? Not for the sake of being argumentative uh, only on that basis, but not withholding, you know, questioning people around him, the chief priests, but also questioning to win people over. Uh, I love the story of the woman at the well, you know, and he's complete and honest and direct with her, and even though he's questioning, kind of challenging the simple behavior she is going through, she respects that, and she changes, and she goes off and says, you know, come and see, come and see this guy that told me everything I have ever done, and she's not afraid of that, and it actually makes more believers, and so sometimes it is uh, a good reasoning for us to be able to uh, just be bold, I think like it describes that. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard uh, today, when I look at our culture, what my perception is that there is a, you know, one of the greatest sins, as far as the culture is concerned, uh, that we could commit is to offend somebody. Mm-hmm. People walk around on eggshells. Don't offend anybody. Don't say anything that'll be offensive. Yep. And Paul's clear, you know, I guess in another one of his letters, right, it's, the gospel is offensive just by its nature. Uh, the fact that you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death. You, you, you deserve hell. You don't, you don't deserve a new truck. You don't deserve a raise. You don't deserve a happy life. Uh, what we deserve is his present and eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's an offensive message. And so it's so hard for me as a pastor, uh, if I'm preaching a sermon that's going to be broadcast out to people of all maturity of faith, immature faith, no faith, anti-faith, the whole spectrum. Um, It's one of the things I think about. How do I measure those words so that I speak the truth and that I don't drive away um, those who are who would be offended. Yeah, I think that would be. Uh, hey, Greg, I just acknowledge you. We're filming a Bible study. Yeah, yeah. Right going to be a part of our Bible study. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Don't worry, we're just going to keep going. Oh, two Greg, Greg and Greg. Yeah. yeah. Well, when everybody sees this tonight, they'll know who to blame if it's not good. Okay. Wow, well, we appreciate these two guys <laughs> volunteering at the church. They, camera up there working and everything. So. Oh, we didn't know. They got the live, they're getting the live stream up and running over here in the worship center, so it's going to be good stuff. Sorry, you guys are fine. Thanks for all you do. We love you guys. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and John's helping too. This you is know, great. I'm supervising. We need a supervisor. You need a sign that says on air. What's going on? Yeah, we're recording. We're recording a Bible study. Yeah. How's it going? So this moment, it was, awesome. It was really good. We got room for a cameo? Yeah, come yeah. on over. Yeah, you really want to say something, yeah. Uh, I got nothing. 
Okay. I don't even know. Oh, offense. We're talking about offending. Talking about offending people. Yeah, and being being honest with people. Actually, one of the things. So how do you preach stands, the gospel without actually offending someone? But one of the things that stands out to me, right, is we may oh. think like this is something new. Like this is something new. This concept of people in our culture being offended by others. Seems so sensitive. Others. It, so it is. Sensitive. But look what I mean. Look what happens with Paul. Right? He's talking and debating with these Jews, and they try to kill him. Like the. That was their public That's forum. Yeah. That was their public forum every day. Right. Men would come in particular and they sit around. They would, yes, this theology. All, all different things. Yep. And what he has spoken to them offends them so much that they decide we're going to kill him. I mean, he's just coming in again to this public forum, many times even being invited in and having this privilege of being able to speak. And he still decides, you know, to go forward with it. But they, after all these people have said, who knows? Different philosophies, uh, they decide they're going to kill this guy. That is that's actually pretty rare. It right. wouldn't have been common practice to yes, come in, let's be here for this free debate. We're going to kill you, right? And so it shows you, I don't know, just the offensiveness sometimes of the gospel for some people, right? And so my concern isn't just simply offending somebody. That's going to happen. I guess my concern is I'm afraid if I. Uh, offend them so much that they are pushed away from sure. the gospel instead of opening yep. their hearts yep. and ears to being, you know, at least you know, open to the idea. Let me hear more about this. I'm curious. To just saying, oh, well, he's just offensive person. I'm just, you know, shut shut that message off. I don't yeah. need to hear that. No, it's definitely a balance that needs to be there. But ultimately, I guess that's up to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Let it go with that. All right, you're All right. Up. We get interrupted again. Where are we? Verse 32. Verse 30. Two. two, the healing of Annas. All right. Uh, now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia. Uh, Lydia. Uh, there he found a man named Annas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Annas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. <laughs> and immediately he rose. I don't know if I haven't walked in eight years. I don't know what the first thing I want to do is make my bed, but I guess <laughs> if that's what it takes, like if that's the mine says pick you, up your mat, so maybe he's just trying to keep them clean. The end. Just, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I think I'd be jumping around. Right, go play basketball. All right, at all the uh, residents, all of them in Lydia and Sharon saw him. They knew him, and they turned to the Lord. That's bold, right? All of them who see it. It's not just like, oh, a couple people heard about this. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't know if you can even get uh, an estimate of how many people live in these different areas, but that'd be interesting to, to see, you know? They were decent-sized cities. I did see, so, um, uh, Joppa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Joppa was the, the port, basically, yep. for Jerusalem's landline. Uh, Joppa is the port that supplied Jerusalem. Uh, Lydda, Sharon, these are roads along that main route about, I don't know, so not quite halfway. decent between. amount of people there providing so, trade yeah. and uh, useful elements right. of people coming in, going out. Yeah. It wasn't a small town like Bethlehem. It was a city. Uh, okay, let's finish up, then we'll talk about the miracles. Uh, so, uh, now there was in Joppa, so I finally made it down to the poor city. Uh, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. That's too good of a name. 
You thought about that for your daughter, didn't you? <laughs> Dorcas? <laughs> didn't people call little kids that sometimes like in school? What's up, Dorcas? I don't know. That's it's a very interesting name. Well, she was full of good works and acts of charity. I believe that kind person. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since the widow was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, uh, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, that's an even bigger city, port city, and many believed in the Lord. They stayed in Joppa for many days. One Simon a Tanner. Does nobody ever tells you there's not a quilting ministry in the Bible? There it is, right? There like it that. is. He shows up and they Fair say, look at, yeah, look at, all these, look at all these things that she made. That's interesting, yeah. you know? It's like these pieces of her, that, again, physical elements that are being held on to, right? Yeah, showing her charity, her, her love, her giving heart. Symbols of that. So, miracles. These are pretty amazing miracles. Healing a cripple after eight years. I am obviously raising a dead person. That one's the that one's just even bigger, I guess, right? That's I don't know. Both of them are bigger miracle in bigger city. You know, I don't but, know when somebody's when somebody's eight been like that for eight years. You know, you could have always said uh, the per, oh the person was asleep, the dead person. You know, that Tabitha or Dorcas was a, you know she was asleep, wasn't feeling good, in some type of a coma. This is what happened. Uh, but to get around maybe the concept of somebody that's paralyzed, you know, this guy didn't lay there for eight years hoping that, you know, one day I'm going to get some fame because somebody shows up and I'll act like a miracle. How long should I do this for? A couple of months? A couple of years? <laughs> eight years seems like long enough for people to believe me. So that's got to be, I mean, that had to be a big one too. Right. But obviously uh, both are true and both are just, you know, an amazing testament of uh, God's miraculous work that he is able to do to show these people that, you know, this is who I am, a, a God of love and a God of power, and I want to be able to, you know, express to you that I will do these things for you. Some of them, I think, are almost messages, right? That I came for, the, I came for the, the places where you are lame and where you are dead to wipe these things out again. This is what Jesus comes to do, to take all of us who are lame and make us rise up so that we can uh, praise and work for him and to take all of us that are dead in sin and to remove that so we can be alive and get uh, alive and well again uh, I think it's just a really good message for us as Christians here today yeah I, I often get asked about miracles does hmm. God still do miracles yep. why did God do miracles why, uh -huh. why doesn't he do miracles anymore whatever different questions and I think this is these two stories together right here, back-to-back, uh, -back really show that, uh, well, first of all, God still does miracles, but God does miracles, one, for just the compassion he has for the sin-sick world, uh, disease, death, it's all ramifications of our own sin, and he fights back against that, 
according to his will, you know, here and there. Uh, but four, it seems to be a deeper, maybe more eternal purpose. And the result of each one of these miracles was all in one city and many in the other city came to faith. Mm -hmm. They saw him just like Saul, who was blinded and then healed. That's a very physical, you know, miracle yeah. beyond what you know we could physically expect in creation. Uh, God reaching in and intervening. It's like, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's this testimony to the people, and this was before they had their own Bible. Yeah, had, yeah. I mean, the stories are happening right now. They haven't been written yet. Uh, the Book of Acts. You know, the Gospels are being written and shared with the churches. The details of Jesus's ministry and sermons and miracles. Um, you know, now we have the testimony of God's word. Uh, we don't need as many miracles to testify that Jesus is the Christ. But I'll say this: uh, do miracles still happen? Absolutely. And in my experience, uh, those miracles still happen in places where they still don't have the Word of God in their own hands. Mm -hmm. I know um, Lutheran missionary, I know we, you don't think of Lutherans as being real charismatic, and, you know, sure. spiritual gifts and miracles and healing and all of that, but you know, I know Lutheran, I, one of my professors, a Hebrew professor, um, he, before that he was a missionary in South America and around villages, you know, um, and he saw, I mean, he told stories, made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The witch doctors versus the uh, missionary, yeah. and uh, just miracles, crazy things happening. Um, signs, uh, as John calls in his gospel, that Jesus is the Christ. You know, we, you know John said, you know, I, wrote, I told you about some of these things, miracles and things, that you, so that you will believe, and that by believing you'll have eternal life. It's always the ultimate purpose uh, in God's work, to bring his children uh, back into his family, back into his fold, lost and found. Prodigal son returned home and celebrated. Uh, so, uh, do miracles still happen? Yes, they do. And also remember, you know, I mentioned the witch doctors, you know, the devil is capable of doing little tricks and things. I wouldn't call those miracles. So if you see somebody on TV or if you see uh, you know, and you question, hmm, is that of God? Uh, you need to align their message up against God's word. Whoever's working the miracle is what they're saying, align with God's word. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or is they saying something else? Mm -hmm. And that's how you can tell if it's of God or not. Yeah, it's a good filter to be able to put it through. Yeah. Like you said that those miracles are still here for us today, but you know, we don't necessarily need them. And I think people on the other side of that will say, "Well, if I would see a miracle, then I would lose that that if then." Right. But you know, we lose that so many times. I mean, that even happens. That happens in Scripture. You know, please send us an angel that we would be able to believe. And God there says they they have Moses and the prophets like they've seen so many things I don't need to send this directly to you and same thing in our world today we're so quick to forget uh, or to push off and explain away uh, I mean it is not hard 
define people in our world today that will say something as large as like the Holocaust did not exist. You know, there are people that, that truly believe that. An event that was not so long ago, uh, but they, they don't believe it or they, they push it off. And that's what happens on a, uh, quickly just over time. We do that as humans. And so the same thing for the Lord. You know, if he decided, you know what, I'm going to do a double second coming. You know, I'm going to come back yeah. one more time here, yeah. and then I'll tell everybody. How many people you got on Earth now? Seven billion something? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to come show all of them. Put it on CNN. Yep, and then, okay, guys, I'm telling you, I will come back again then at some point. You know, for the first week, everybody would be on fire for the most part. But then what would happen with that when a generation Oh, went, that was a government conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't think that really yeah. happened. What would, uh, what would it turn into? And so would we really believe, you know, just being able to see that? Remember, even uh, the individual in our text for today, when God himself comes and says, Hey, go, this is the guy I have chosen. Are you sure, yeah. Lord? This is, this is the guy you've chosen? Maybe you haven't heard. Yeah, yeah. He's, so don't let those things fill you. I mean, this is part of why we... Talk about that that uh, gift of faith, right? That it's being being certain uh, of something, of being able to have something that a lot of times which we have not yet fully seen with our eyes, but we know uh, in our heart because of what God has done for us. And so today, maybe we take those miracles that have been expressed and know that maybe some of us have experienced things like that in our past. Uh, maybe some in our future, and maybe some of us won't see them at all. But for all of us, uh, that God is still a God who is completely true, wanting to be here with us uh, to grow and expand His church and to be able to give us His healing. And my last footnote uh, for this chapter is the, it ends on seemingly a quiet note there, but it's actually a pretty big statement. Mm. Uh, the last verse uh, Saul, while he was in Joppa for many days, he stayed with one Simon. A tanner. Yeah. So a tanner is someone who skinned animals yeah. and their hides. So in the Jewish culture, he would be someone who's always ceremonially unclean. Yeah, always touching Nobody things. wanted to spend any time with him. And he yep. lived at his house. That was yep. his apartment while he was doing his ministry. Oh, yeah. In and so this is a big juxtaposition to chapter 10, yeah. where Peter starts learning about what's clean and unclean. And so we'll get into that. Well, it's a, that's a good point because you're next, talking about next year, next month. <laughs> no, next week. We'll it's, a good, next it's week. a good point because you're you're opening up the door for you know who does God come for? Well, He comes for all people, whether you would think they were clean or not. These are the individuals that our Lord reaches out to. Well, with that, when we close with our uh, prayer for the day, I'll uh, break this down here for us. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, we just uh, ask that you to take this word and just bring it into our hearts. And continue to uh, just make it alive and well for us, Lord. Uh, that you will open our eyes, remove any of those scales of uh, sin that have been upon us, and uh, make us to be your spokespeople here on this earth. Uh, Lord, may we not question you in any way, uh, but when we hear your calling, be bold to be able to answer and to be able to push forward. Uh, Lord, uh, make us know within our hearts that anybody can accept you uh, by your Spirit, that you do this great work in us and that you are, are filled with power. And so continue, Lord, to make those miracles happen here on this earth as you heal us uh, who are lame, who are sick, uh, who are dead in sin, and make us arise so that your church is stronger, uh, not for our benefit, but for the benefit and glory uh, and uh, just power and all praise being that to your Son. 
In his name we come to you uh, today, Lord. Uh, thank you for this word and ask that you continue to, uh, again, strengthen us as a congregation and people here at Desert Foothills. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Right, see you later.